0: Well, good morning. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. We're we'll going to be finishing up chapter 5 this morning, verses 9 through 13. And just as you're turning there, uh, as we're going through this, you know, we talked about this a couple weeks ago, some heavy stuff that we're going to be going through in chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 7. This is really why I love um, verse by verse preaching through books of the Bible um, because. If uh, we come to tough sections of Scripture, which we will, uh, if you've read through the Bible, you may find that uh, there are tough sections of Scripture. Um, when we come to those, it doesn't permit us to skip those. So if a couple of weeks ago we finished up chapter 4 and then you arrive the next week and we're starting chapter 8, because you are such Berean-minded people, you would hopefully say, hmm, I wonder what's in chapters 5, 6, and 7. And why didn't he cover that uh, since he said he was preaching through... The book of first Corinthians. I, I like that because <clears throat> when I am walking by the flesh and not by the spirit, I am incredibly uh, proud in the area of I am a people pleaser. OK, and so it keeps me from being that and it keeps my heart and my mind grounded on this is God's word, not my word and we are going to deal with things as followers of christ that are not easy Uh, there's tough passages in in the bible and and that's a good thing because it keeps us committed to him and his uh purposes and not just our own desires so we're going to finish up chapter five and if you wouldn't mind standing up again uh, just follow along as i read 1 Corinthians 5, starting with verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. Not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. <clears throat> Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And pray that just as Jesus prayed for us that you would sanctify us by the truth. God help us I pray this morning that you would give us your grace that you would pour your grace into our hearts and that that would uh, reveal itself in humility in us God we need humility if we are to approach a passage like this and if we are to obey a passage like this in a way that pleases you God <clears throat> we need humility so father I pray for that I pray that you would move and work in our hearts that you would have your way, God, that you would convict of sin, that you would bring about repentance through your word, if that is needed, God, that you would be glorified through your word in all things this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Go ahead and have a seat. <clears throat> well, verse 9 says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate Sexually immoral people. Now, we we mentioned as we were starting through this series through First Corinthians that there was a previous letter that Paul had written to the church in Corinth. This is called First Corinthians, but it wasn't the first letter that was written to them, and he refers to that here. And so, uh, what we have from that letter <clears throat> is this phrase: "Not to associate with sexually immoral people." Uh, now, some of you may find out, you know, there's another letter and, and I would like, why not? Why don't we have that? And, and, and I wish we could read that and it would help a lot if we could read that and find out what, what was he saying in that letter and how would that help us today? And, and, and if you're thinking that the reason we don't have that letter is because God didn't think we needed to have that letter. We have all that we need in the Bible. And and in fact, I love in um, the Gospel of John, John writes this in, in John 20, verses 30 and 31. Now, Jesus did many other signs. In the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. Let me pause there and tell you that in the next chapter, chapter 21, verse 25, he says, uh, Jesus did many other signs than that are written in this book. So many that if every one of them were written down, it would take the entire world to store the books that it would take to fill uh, with all of the works and things that Jesus did. Okay, so thinking that. John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. We don't get everything written down that Jesus did or said, but we have enough. We have enough that we would believe in his name and that we would have life in him. And the same with all of the scriptures. God has given us everything we need for life and godliness in his word and by his spirit. We have everything we need. And so once we've mastered this uh, and, and are obeying it completely, then we can have conversations about what if and I wish we had and all of that stuff. Okay, we have everything we need. He goes on in verse 10. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world. What had happened was they wrote or he wrote this letter to the church in Corinth. And when they received it, either they um, misunderstood it completely or because of their arrogance, because of their desire for uh, humanistic wisdom, because of the things that he's dealt with already in chapters one, two and three and four, because of those things, they have they have turned their head away from the immorality that's happening inside of the body of Christ and, and, and they're even boasting about that, and, and rather are looking outside the body of Christ, at those who don't believe in Christ, at the world, and to become critical and judgmental of those outside the church. Paul says, I didn't mean that at all. I wasn't telling you to disassociate with the world. How could you do that? You, you couldn't do that. It would be impossible to do that. But that's what they had done, and, and it's just a, a, a picture of their hypocrisy. It's the same thing that Jesus was dealing with with the Pharisees. Where he would tell them things like you 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 load on these heavy burdens on those you're teaching, but you you don't even carry the weight, you can't even carry the weight in the same way that it's a hypocrisy that's that's visible in the church in Corinth. I think the church today is just as guilty of this and we see uh people who who are in the church and and say they love the Lord, and then the response to the world is so judgmental. I mean, you'd be in a public place, right? And 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 people who don't know the Lord will will say a cuss word. And you're like covering your kids' ears and like backing out of the store, right? And just like if we get out of here, then we'll get to go to heaven, and we don't have to like we don't have to be around those people anymore. And so. That's, that's what is happening here. They're being critical and judgmental. And the, the, the heart behind this is, is just to ask, if, if you were standing in a public place and a blind person came and stepped on your toe, would you be angry with the blind person? I mean, honestly, the first response to getting your toe stepped on may be offense, like you may turn and, and be upset at first. But when you realize the person is blind, Are you still angry with the person? Hopefully not. Hopefully our heart sees the condition of the person and we realize he's just doing what his nature does. He can't see. He didn't know my toe was there. So instead of being angry at the person, I should have a heart for the person and and want to help the person more than I want to hurt the person. But Paul tells us in in 2 Corinthians 4.4, he says of those who are unbelievers, he says the God of this world is has blinded the eyes of the unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. They can't see that. They're blind. He says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 2, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, he says they're dead. They're just, they're corpses. And so Paul's point is, How can you look at those who are blind and expect them to see? How can you look at those who are dead and expect them to live? They can't. They're blind. They're dead people. Paul says, I wasn't at all speaking of those of the world. Because if I was speaking of them, you'd have to be completely removed from the world. You're going to encounter the world. You're going to please know that. okay? you're going to encounter the world. There's not Christian banks and Christian everything else. You're going to have to encounter the world. You read through uh, John 17, where Jesus says, I'm not I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but just keep them from the evil one. And just as you've sent me into the world, I'm sending them into the world. We're not we're not being called out. We're not being lifted up as soon as we come to know Christ. No, Paul says, if I meant that, then you would have to leave the world completely. I didn't I didn't mean that at all. He goes on and and tells us what he means in the next verse. Verse 11, he says, but now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty. This is tough, okay? This is tough stuff. We worked through the beginning of, uh, of, of chapter 5, and this kind of puts the flesh on what, as the body, do we do now to respond to that? So if the leaders of the church get to the point where this person has been confronted, they don't repent, they've been confronted, they don't repent, they're brought before the church, they don't repent, they're, 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 biblically, they're, the elders, the leaders of the church are called to kick them out of the church. This now puts flesh on what does the body do? As the people who love Christ and are a part of his body, how do they respond to those people who are excommunicated? Now, remember the context here. That's what this is about. This is church discipline of someone who is unrepentant. If anyone bears the name of brother, if anyone is in Christ, if anyone is a fellow believer, if they call themselves a Christian, if they bear the name of brother, and here's the thing, you and I can't see that. We can't see into the hearts of people. We don't get to look in and find out and tell, yep, this person really is a believer. They really believe what they say they believe. Paul's just saying if they bear the name, because we don't get to see that. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 7-9 through nine, uh, tells us that if we're in Christ, we're going to make it. He saves us, he keeps saving us, and he'll keep us saved until he returns. But God sees that. We don't get to see that. We don't get to see in people's hearts. And so what... Paul says here is if anyone bears the name of brother then this is how we deal with his or her sin. And remember the point here. We're not we're not called to be spiritual bullies. We're not um, we're not called to just kind of look around and, and judge as many people as possible. We are people in Christ who really do believe that fellowship with Christ is of more importance than than fellowship with us. We really do believe that. We're in Christ and we get the picture of all we have in him. If he's our treasure, if we can say with the psalmist, whom have I in heaven but you and there's nothing on earth I desire besides you, then that's our desire for other believers as well. And so we believe and we we know that, that fellowship with Christ is way more valuable and way more important than fellowship with us. And that's the heart of all of this. It's all about Christ and it's all about relationship with him. And so out of love we confront and even take part in church discipline in the hope of restoration. That the unrepentant person will will be restored to God and they'll be restored to the body of Christ. This is instruction of how the, the people in the body are to deal with church discipline. Church discipline doesn't uh, just happen by the elders. This passage didn't just stop at verse 2 where it says, let him who has done this be removed from among you. There's there's, there's follow through with that. It's not something the church elders just decide on. It's something that, that the body of Christ in agreement together participate in. Under the guidance of the church elders for the sake of the unrepentant person and the purity of the church. Now remember the picture that Paul painted last week as we looked at verses 6 through 8? Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven. And that, that's a picture of a leaven being sin in the body of Christ. The lump is the body of Christ. And so just one offending person, one unrepentant person in the body of Christ, it's not just, um, it doesn't just affect that person. Well, Paul's making the point of in, in that in that picture of, of of leaven yeast in the whole lump and how it affects the whole lump is in the same way an unrepentant person in the body of Christ will affect the entire body just like one rotten apple in a in a good healthy batch of bunch of apples will affect and rot the whole bunch. In the same way that happens in the body of Christ, and so we've got to care about that we need to we need to see that that purity matters in the body of Christ and just in case we look through the passage and and we read you know the circumstance of this guy right here 's this circumstance in, in, in uh, the beginning of chapter five, he tells what the guy has done, and so just in case we don 't go and, and look into this and 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 listen to these sermons and think. You know, we can breathe a sigh of release because we're kind of thinking through and, and our estimation. It's not very likely that anybody in this body is going to shack up with their father's wife. And so, uh, OK, preach it, brother. We can we can agree to this because I don't think anything's going to happen like that. He makes it clear. This is not just about this particular sin. This is about unrepentant sin. It's not just about the extremeness of this one sin. It's about the fact that it's the guy's not repenting. He calls himself a brother and he's not repenting. And so he goes through and he completes more of the list, which is an incomplete list. He says there in verse 11, now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed. Or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat. With such a one. That's getting closer to home. That's getting more personal here. He says don't even eat with such a one. Who is is guilty of this and unrepentant. If a person is guilty, if he's confronted, remember Matthew 18, there's a, there's a process that Jesus gives us for this. If he's confronted by a brother or sister and he doesn't repent, and if he's confronted then by two people together or three people together and he doesn't repent, then the elders get involved and, and they even bring it before the church and he doesn't repent, then you excommunicate him and here's what the body does. They, they disassociate with him. They not, you Don't even eat with the person. Don't associate with the person. Don't even eat with that person. church is saying to the unrepentant person don't come we won't even fellowship with you but why would they say that because they're a walking contradiction they're saying they love jesus they're saying that they treasure Him. they're saying jesus did this in my heart but they're living completely opposite and unwilling to humbly come before the lord who who they've called the lord of their life In case the question comes up in our minds, yes, Jesus matters this much. It's all about Christ. It's all about Jesus, his holiness, and the display of him to the world matters this much. So, yes, there's difficult things, there's hard things that we come across, but we have to, we have to reconcile our emotions and our feelings with who Christ is and who we're called to display to the world. Through our purity. Do we want to be a people who glorify God as his people, his church? By being holy, by living holy lives. If that is true, then we have to ask ourselves, are we serious about the holiness of God and the purity of the church? That's, that's what this is calling us to here. Do we love each other enough to refuse to associate Even eat with someone who will not repent. That's not a contradiction. Not a contradiction to say that we love someone so much that we wouldn't fellowship with them. Or eat with them. It's a contradiction. This is a contradiction. It's a contradiction to say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you came and lived a perfect life. I believe that you conquered sin on the cross. I believe that you conquered death when you rose from the grave. I believe that trusting in you and putting my faith in you means that you have wiped my sins completely away because of your sacrifice on the cross, not because of anything I've done. I believe that in believing in you, you have credited me with perfect righteousness. You are my Lord. I deny myself. I take up my cross and I follow you. And then to walk completely contrary to everything he has commanded. We may read through this passage and think, didn't Jesus say we're called to love each other, to love our neighbors as much as we love ourselves?" I would never do this to myself. I love eating with myself. Didn't Jesus say that they will know that we are his disciples by how we love one another? Yes, he did. But love isn't about you. Love is about God in displaying God. And it's it's not the most important thing that someone gets to eat with Tony. That's not that great. It's not that important that someone gets to fellowship with Tony. It's of infinitely more value that they have fellowship with God. That they have fellowship with Jesus Christ. And if it's more important to me that I save face so that I get to eat with that person, then I don't love them because I'm not seeking their highest joy. I'm just seeking that they get to eat with me. Not that they get to eat in fellowship with Jesus. It's not a contradiction to say that we love someone so much that we wouldn't eat with them. Paul goes on in the in the passage, he says in verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? What have I what have I to do with those who are outside? What do I do to judge them? But isn't it those inside the church whom you're to judge? That's a rhetorical question expects a, a yes, an affirmative. Yes, we are called to judge those inside the church. Because here's the thing, just like with the Corinthians, if we don't, if we're not willing to, then we're aligning with the person who is in rebellion against God. That's what's happening in Corinth. You have this guy who is unrepentant, not willing to say your ways are higher than my ways. God, I love you more than I love myself. So I'll give up my selfish desires, repent and turn to you. You have a guy who's, who's living that way. He's totally unrepentant. He's in rebellion against God. He's in rebellion against the, the whole message of the gospel. And you have a body of believers who, rather than calling him out and, 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 and trying to draw him back into fellowship with God, they have aligned with him. They're boasting about it. They're, it's, it's like they're putting their arm around him as if they're opposed to God's ways as well. If, we, if we're not willing to confront the one who is in rebellion against God, then, then we're just in agreement with them. We're just putting our arms around them to where we too are in rebellion. And that's why Paul's addressing this whole chapter not to the guy, but to the church for their sin. Because they're unwilling to separate themselves from this person who has obviously separated themselves in walking in fellowship with God. goes on in verse 13. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. God will judge those outside the church. It's his job. He will do it. Question is, do we believe that he will do it? Do we really believe that God will judge those who are not in Christ. Do we really believe that if we really believe that and we see the condition of them, the nature of them, that they're dead, that they're blind. Then our heart turns from judging them and being critical to them rather to loving them truly and and leading them the best we can, pointing them to God. And in the midst of that begging, begging that he will shine in their hearts so that they can see how good he is so that they're not blind anymore. That's our role in that. God's role is to judge them. Our role is to glorify him and to proclaim his excellencies to them. So that through that, as we pray for them and as we love them, as we we, we preach the gospel to them, as we point them to Christ, that their eyes might be opened by God, that they could see how great he is and, and repent and turn to him. But God will judge those outside, Paul says. But we are to judge those in the body. He says, purge the evil person from among you. Before we get into explaining that, we want to remember this is, this is not something we're doing arrogantly. Matthew 7, verses 1 through 5, where Jesus is teaching through the Sermon on the Mount, and he says, judge not lest you be judged. And we talked about this. Same measure you judge, you will be judged. How can you approach your brother about the speck in their eye. When you have this log in your eye. First address the log in your own eye. Remove the log in your eye. So that what? You can see better to, to remove the speck from your brother's eye. That takes humility. And the, the point of that is when I, when I see sin in the body of Christ. And we will see sin in the body of Christ. We see it every morning when we look in the mirror. We're going to see it in others as well. But uh, when we see it in other people, our first response isn't, yes. First Corinthians five, I hope we make it there. Like, it's not that at all. It's I see sin in someone else and I immediately look inwardly, Jesus says. I immediately look in my heart. Where am I disobedient to you, Father? Where am I sinning? What is the log coming in, out of my eye that I need to address humbly approaching you, asking you for forgiveness and seeking um, reconciliation and fellowship with you? So that I can humbly approach my brother or sister and walk with them through repentance. There's not, nothing we approach arrogantly. And, and just so that we, we're clear, this is not a call for someone who thinks they have the spiritual gift of judging to like read through this and think, well, that's how God's gifted me. I'm just very, I'm very aware of other people's sin. And so the Lord has called me through this passage to go through. And if I see sin in you, then I'm going to go through this and carry this out. And, and I'm not going to eat with you because I see sin in you. That's not the point here. This is, this is done as the body of Christ. It's the elders leading and the body submitting for the glory of God and the restoration of the unrepentant sinner and for the purity of the church. So, yes, you you, you may read through this and and, and you may be offended. You may be struck. You may be like, whoa, I, I don't know if I get this because this is dangerous. This what if what if someone reads this and they I know I've seen people do this and they become so judgmental and they're so that's the opposite of what this is saying. If they're being judgmental and critical and, and prideful and all of those things, then they're not being obedient to this. This is a church thing where we prayerfully and lovingly and humbly walk through this for the glory of God and the purity of his church. There's no, there's no arrogance in this at all. There's no possibility of arrogance if we're going to obey it the way that it's written. Paul says, purge the evil person from among you. Cleanse out. This phrase is, is quoted from the Old Testament. It's Old Testament language. It's used over and over and over and over in the book of Deuteronomy. I think Paul uses it. It's a harsh phrase. And I think he uses it to, to give us a sense of how serious what he's writing here is. It's not a little thing. It's not a light thing. In fact, every time it's used in the book of Deuteronomy, It has to do with killing the person who sinned every time. What's the purpose of that? Why would would it say that and and why would Paul use that phrase? What was the purpose in in Deuteronomy? If you go to Deuteronomy 19 or Deuteronomy 21, it, it clearly tells why they did this. To purge the evil, to cleanse out the sin, but also so that the rest would fear God and walk in obedience. Paul's trying to... Give us a sense of the gravity of what's going on. That sin in the body, unrepentant sin in the body of Christ is not a small thing. It's a major, major thing. Now here's the question. As you read through this passage, there's unique things in our culture that, that we have to deal with. Like why didn't Paul address social media? In this passage, right? Do I unfriend them on Facebook? Do I just ignore them on Facebook? What do I do? It, what is the heart of it? The heart of it is the glory of God that they would be reconciled to Jesus. But the other thing that, that culturally is, is unique and, and difficult... When it comes to this passage, let me ask you this. OK, in this local body. OK, here's the body that most of you, you may be visiting this morning, but most of you have said this is the body that I am attending and this is the body that I'm coming together with. This is the body that together purchased by God through the blood of Jesus Christ set apart holy, his possession together. I'm with this body to proclaim, as 1 Peter 2.9 says, the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. This is the body together that I'm associating with to do that. So let me ask you, if in Cornerstone, this body that you're a part of, what if this happens? First of all, what if this happens to someone else in the body? And you see, we have to go through this process and, and, and they won't repent. They won't repent. And, and, and pleading with them and praying for them. And they just won't repent. And, and it gets to the point where they're kicked out of the body. Let me ask you, as, as fellow members of the body, would you, like Paul says later on in 1 Corinthians, we're members of the body, right? Just like a toe or an arm or a, uh, a leg or, or whatever is a part of the body. We're members together of the body of Christ just like Paul says, would you, as the body of Christ, feel like your arm was cut off? Would you feel like if someone was kicked out of the body, would you pray with, for them so much and so often, begging God to intervene and cause repentance to take place in their heart because you just feel like you're walking around with one leg? Would you feel that way? You should. We should. That's what the body of Christ should be like. What if it was you? What if you're the person? What if, what if, may it never be, okay? But what if it's you? And what if you get to the point where your heart is hardened and you just won't repent and you want what you want more than you want Jesus? And so even as you're confronted, no, I'm not. There's nothing wrong with this. God wants me to be happy and you won't repent, and you won't repent, and you won't repent, and you're, you're kicked out of the body, the fellowship of the church, how would you respond? Would you feel like you had died? That's the point here. Old Testament, they literally died. The point is, you should feel like you died. But what's the problem in our culture? Most of the time, someone, if there's a church they're a part of, and they go through biblical uh, discipline, and it gets to the point where they're kicked out of the church, what do they do? Google. I'll just find a different church. I'll find a much bigger church. I can just slip in the back. Nobody knows what I've done. Nobody knows what I want. Nobody knows anything. That's not a harp on big churches, by the way. It's a harp on unrepentant people, okay? (laughs) Please. Don't hear me wrong, okay? But the truth is, we just have this issue where we just get up and go to another church it's fine there's a there's a massive issue there the body wasn't the body if that can happen and you don't feel like you died then the body's not being the body we're not loving the way that the god has called us, commanded us to love so what should we do we go through a passage like this thank the Lord, as far as we know, this is not happening. But what should we do? How do we respond as the body as we go through this? I think the first thing is, is and the main thing is, we evaluate our hearts. We evaluate in us. The point that, that, one of the points that Paul's making here is, we are a distinct people. We are a holy people. That's what we are, okay? That's not what we attain two that's what we are that's not what we hope to be that's what we are in our identity we are holy people god has set us apart completely in identity but he has called and commanded us to live out that identity in fact if you go to first peter chapter 1 such a wonderful picture of it in first peter Starting with verse 13 in chapter 1. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy... You also be holy in all your conduct, not just identity, but in your practice. Be holy people, be set apart people, be distinct people. Since verse 16, it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. And if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, Your conduct be set apart, be distinct. That word distinct means recognizably different in nature from something else of a similar type. Be different, recognizably different. That's what Paul is saying here. The body of Christ is an identity in identity, completely set apart and holy. And we are called to live that out in conduct. And so just to go through the list that he has here. We ought to be distinct. We ought to be recognizably different in relationship to sex. Verse 11. Anyone who bears the name of brother if he's guilty of sexual immorality. Now, we're going to talk more about that in a few weeks as we get to the end of chapter 6. But we ought to be recognizably different, distinct in relationship to greed. We don't live for manna. We don't live for money. We live for God. We ought to be distinct, recognizably different in relationship to idolatry. We worship differently. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We should be distinct in that. We should be different in that. We're not gravitating towards all of the other things, the idols that people worship. We have one God. He gets everything. We should be different in relationship to the tongue. What we say. Jesus says that the mouth is the window of the heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. My mouth is a window to my heart. Therefore, what has God put in my heart? Love. Grace. Peace. Peace. Is that what people see when I open my mouth? Is that what people feel? Is that what they hear? Love and peace and grace. We should be distinct in that. We should be different in that. We should be recognizably different in relationship to alcohol. That's what he says here. Drunkards. Paul says in Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not given to those things. We're given to God. We're not controlled by those other things. We're controlled by God. Recognizably different in relation to how we do business, how we treat others. Swindlers is on the list. Using deception, conniving that we might gain money to deceive out of money. But here's the thing this is not a complete list. There's more, right? We could keep reading through the scriptures. There's more. And just to, just to, to show us that and, and to feel that a bit, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul says something very similar. In verses 14 and 15 of 2 Thessalonians 3, if anyone does not obey what we say in this letter, take note of that person and have nothing to do with him that he may be ashamed. Do not regard him as an enemy, but warn him as a brother. It's similar to what Paul's referring to in 1 Corinthians 5, or what he's saying in 1 Corinthians 5. If anyone does not obey what we say in this letter. So what does he say in this letter? Well, for one, he talks about laziness, idleness. So here's the point. It's, it's this idea of unrepentant sin, not this idea of let's pick the biggest sin that happens in chapter 5, and sigh relief if it's not us no 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 this has to do with unrepentant sin if you're lazy if you're idle if you're if you're greedy if you're uh, immoral if you're an idolater if you if you use your tongue for evil if you're an alcoholic if you if you're a swindler if, if whatever it is and you're unrepentant it's time to turn, it's time to confess, it's time to realize that God is a holy, holy God who has, who has given, credited you with his righteousness and expects you to live that in conduct. And so when we sin, we turn to him for repentance. We ask him to help us and strengthen us and, and humbly approach him day in and day out. You see that in the psalm so beautiful as the psalmist comes before the Lord and confessing sins and, and even the sins that he's not aware of. That's, that's humility walking before God. I'm not saying we're not going to sin. It's just saying we know that his ways are better than our ways and we're living for him and not for ourselves. couple things before we close I mentioned a couple weeks ago as we started through uh, this section and especially in chapter five that as we go through these chapters five six and seven and through the book my heart is that we would come away from these messages with with a higher view of God his holiness' just how amazing and 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 above our thinking he is how worthy he is but also that we would come away with with more of a love for his people people for the church let me ask you, you as you go through this as you see what we're called to be we're called we're made to be set apart he's purchased us and set us apart and we're called to live that out do you love the church do you love god's people do you do you love the fact that they're set apart and holy that they're called to be distinct and do you treasure god and tremble at his holiness so that when his church is stained by unrighteousness, that you love the person, him or her, enough to not associate with him. Because you recognize that their fellowship with Jesus is more important than their fellowship with you. Do you love them that much? I want to encourage you, if, if you read through this, and, and, and maybe it's shocking, maybe it's offensive, I, I don't know how you... Come away from it. But let me encourage you with this. This chapter. Is just as much. A love chapter. As 1 Corinthians 13. Is a love chapter. This is a loving thing. It's not an arrogant thing. It's not a prideful thing. It's a people who humbly come before God. And see God first above all things. And love their neighbor. As much as they love themselves. I can tell you. If I am walking away from the Lord, I desperately want someone to do whatever they can to see that I'm restored in fellowship with Him. If I love myself that much, then I ought to love others that much, is what Jesus is saying. We need humility for that. Just as I was praying in the beginning that God would give us His grace and it would result in humility, we need humility for that. Band's going to come up. I'm going to pray. As they're coming up, but we're going to sing uh, the song "O Church Arise," and I hope that we can stand together as the body of Christ and just sing this out as a declaration: We are a people who are set apart by God, for God, because of God. We are His bride. We have, we have the joy of gathering together and singing together. So it's not a time where we're, we're going to just step out and try to focus everyone else out. And Unless you need to repent. If, that, if, if, if you see things in your own heart and the Lord is convicting you, just, yes, do that. Repent, repent, get right with the Lord. But as the body of Christ, that we would just declare this together, singing out for him and to him. Encouraging and challenging each other as we sing towards this end that we would live lives that reflect his holiness and the holiness of his church let's do that together let me pray father thank you for your grace thank you for your love lord it is um, humbling to even go through this passage god and as a person who struggles with pride i know i know that i would i do i do struggle through these things it's hard to not want to please myself in circumstances like this. It's hard to to not think through excuses. But God, you've called us to obedience. Jesus, you said, if we love you, we will keep your commandments. God, I pray for your help and your grace that would just be poured into us, that we'd be a humble people. And just as we prayed already going through this chapter, God, we pray first that you would protect us, that you would guard our hearts, Lord, that we would, we would not see this take place, that we wouldn't, we wouldn't see people who are unrepentant, believers who have confessed you and continue to be unrepentant that we wouldn't see that that we would be a people your people who love you so much and our affections are set so much on you god that we just want to please you and then even when we turn away as we continue to to struggle with with our flesh and and with sin lord that when we're confronted on that that we would we would see our wrong and we would see how you are right and we would see the truth of the gospel lord and we would repent That we would love each other through that. That we would love each other enough to examine our own hearts and remove the the log from our own eye, the plank from our own eye, and then lovingly and humbly help others as they walk through removing specks from their own eye. I pray for your help in that, God. And that you'd be glorified with a pure and spotless bride that we might proclaim the excellencies of you who called us out of darkness into your marvelous light and display you wondrously to the world. In Christ's name, amen.